so last week we started our new series in 2 Corinthians. If you weren't here, just a real quick recap of the kind of four major points. You see four key themes, ideas, truths pop up in this letter. We see uh, repeating ideas and themes of sanctification our pursuit of holiness, the work God does in us to make us more like Christ. We see repeated themes of identity and role, who we are versus what we are called to do. We talked a little bit about the eternal nature versus the temporary nature of those two things and the problems that arise when we mistake our temporary role for our identity and what that can do to us. Uh, we also looked at the power of God as one of the themes that we're going to see throughout this letter. The power of God transcendent in all of this, sovereign over all of this. Pursuing sanctification apart from Him is fruitless. Pursuing and trying to know our identity apart from Him will lead us nowhere. Trying to go through our roles apart from Him will, will be painful. Um, and so we're going to continue in 2 Corinthians. And uh, before we read the passage... Um, we're a very, and when I say we, I mean all of us, like the world in 2023, we are a, we want it now. We're a fast food society. We're a fast food culture. We want information. We want our question answered without any work. If we're being honest, we don't want to put the work in to find things out and to learn stuff, right? Like I'm going down to Columbus. We're going to the zoo. I don't want to bring an umbrella and a jacket and maybe, so like, hey Siri, what's the weather in Columbus? Tell me, I want the answer right now. Hey Alexa, what's the temperature outside? Hey Google, order pizza for me. Like, we want, we want it right away and we want it simple. We want the answer just presented on a plate of automatic voice to give it to us. And that's not how scripture works. Like, we can't treat the Bible like a digital assistant. And so we have these conversations, and I have these conversations with people of, well, what am I supposed to do in this specific role? No, you don't understand. Like, I know what the Bible, but like, I want the Bible to tell me exactly what my day should look like in the education system. I want a sermon, like, well, okay, that's great, but I want to know what my day should look like, what my behavior should look like as a stay-at-home parent. Yeah, but I'm retired. Well, I work in the hospitals. I work, like, we want these very, very specific temporary role questions answered just nicely and neatly without having to put the work in ourselves and figure it out. And that's just not what the Bible does. God gives us eternal truths about our eternal identity, about our eternal role. And then believers filled with the Holy Spirit being led. What did Jesus say? We looked at this last week as well. Jesus says in John, one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit is to guide the believer in truth and understanding. And so this passage that we're going to look at, in a sense, it is written very specifically for you. Whatever role you find yourself in temporarily, whatever job you find yourself in, whatever neighborhood vocation, calling, whatever stage of life you find yourself in, it is very specifically written to apply there. But it's not going to say, verse 12, and all grandparents do this. All parents do that. Like, that's just not what it, what it does. And so we need to approach it with the desire to understand, okay, Lord, what truth are you communicating? And then be willing to say, okay, how does this apply? How does this fit? Because there are going to be details that we just can't all talk about. And that's why we start with Scripture, which gives us that foundation. And it's beautiful. So as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, listen for, okay, whatever temporary earthly role I'm in, 
What does God say about my eternal identity? What does God say about my eternal purpose, my eternal role? And if you would, please, if you're physically able, rise for God's word. This is 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope that you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Remember we looked at last week that Paul had these travel plans that had to be altered. So this is what he's referencing. He's saying, I wanted to do this, but those plans changed. So what does he say? He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of your word. The privilege of engaging with it, of, of being sharpened by it, being refined through submission to it. God, may you be glorified in this time. We've worshipped you with our voices. Now let us worship you with our ears, with our minds, with our hearts, always with our hearts. Lord, may all this point to the glory of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So what I say at the start, that passage doesn't have verses specifically calling out every temporary earthly role. But this part of this letter of 2 Corinthians very clearly lays out how we are to approach our roles. Whether it's as a grandparent, whether it's as a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister, a friend, a cousin, retired, employed, part-time, full-time, work from home, work remotely, work over, like whatever it is, this part in 2 Corinthians as we're considering our eternal identity and our earthly temporary roles, this passage lays out fundamental truths of how we ought to, how we are called to, not invited to, not a, hey, if you feel like it, if it's convenient, if it's fun, like, no, this is the calling on your life, how to approach your role. And so the first thing we see in approaching our role, how do I behave as fill in the blank? What do I do as fill in the blank? The first thing that we see is that it has to be a heart seeking to reflect the holiness of God. 
It has to be with a desire that every one of my actions will point to the holiness of the Lord. This is what he says in verse 12. We behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. That word simplicity means open uprightness. Some of your translations might literally have it as holiness. So what he's saying is he's saying, look, in everything we did, we behaved with holiness. That was what drove our behavior. With godly sincerity, that literally means judged in light of the sun. Not S-O-N, but S-U-N. This idea of judged in the biggest, brightest, most intense spotlight you can imagine. We behaved in a way that would stand up to that examination. It was the idea of conveying pure inner motives, that the desires are right, the desires are good. It's not superficial, it's not shallow. You ever been greeted by someone when you walk into a store? Now it's not so common anymore, but remember Walmart used to have with the little smiley vest greeters? Hey, thanks for coming. Did you ever feel like, yeah, if you weren't paid to say that, there's no way you'd stand there and say, thanks for coming. Right, like, hey, I'm happy you're here. We're having a sale. All right, you're already past me. That's not godly sincerity. Godly sincerity is pure inner motives. If it's done with, I want to do this. I desire this. Everything about me is in the right place in pursuing this behavior. Simplicity. We behaved in the world with holiness. Exodus 19.6 God is speaking to his people and he says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's the same idea in Leviticus 20 and 26. 1 Peter 1, 14-16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 1 Corinthians 5.8, considering this idea of godly sincerity, pure inner motives. 1 Corinthians 5.8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven. He's talking about, so he's talking about let us celebrate the festival with leaven. This is, is a metaphor for our behavior, for our conduct in the world. And he says, not with the old leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God. Sincerity is directly tied to our commissioning from the Lord. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So how are you to behave in your job? Whatever it may be. How are you to behave in your neighborhood, in your family relationships? Whatever temporary role you find yourself in, how are you to behave in that way? With holiness and with sincerity. The way you talk about your coworkers to their face, is that the way you talk about their coworkers at home to your spouse, 
to your friends on Friday night? Are you sincere? Or are we two-faced? The way we talk about our boss when our boss is in the room. What's that new task you want to give me? Yeah, absolutely. Great thing. I got it for you. What a jerk. He's gone. I can say that now. Do we behave with sincerity? Do we behave with holiness? Do we parent in a way that is holy? Do we do it perfectly? No. Goodness knows I don't. But this is our calling. This is our standard. So when I start to ask the question, well, what am I supposed to do in this situation? When fill in the blank, when, when a friend, when a child, when some, right? Like whether you're at home, whether you're at the office, whether you're at your kid's sports game, when someone does this, how am I supposed to respond? Well, in a way that's holy and godly sincere. It's really quite simple. God's not giving us trick questions. He's not throwing us curveballs. He's saying, no, you behave in holiness and in sincerity. This applies eternally to whatever role you find yourself in. This is your calling in that role. What else do we see that determines our roles, that determines what we do in our roles? Well, our actions should be determined by a heart that is seeking to obey God and be sensitive to His leading. Listen to His voice. Follow His prompting. Be obedient to His commands. This applies universally. There's no situation that you could find yourself in where it'd be like, okay, well, yeah, in this one instance, you don't have to obey what God has set forth. I mean, everywhere else, but not in this, well, He did what? He cut you off doing what? Okay, yeah, in this one instance, you get a free pass. No, our heart must be to obey God and to follow His leading. Consider verse 17. Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. We talked about last week when we talked about introducing this letter and understanding the context, understanding the audience. Paul had very vocal opponents in the body of believers at Corinth. He had people who were actively trying to undermine his ministry. And one of the things that they tried to do was when he changed his plans, they used it and they were like, see, he doesn't know what he wants to like. He's not sure how to lead. This guy's wishy-washy. He's a flake. He's changing things all the time. And Paul's saying like, no, I'm, I'm not doing this according to the flesh. I'm doing this because I'm obeying God. I mean, when you look through Paul's letters... If you want a fun way to study the Bible and see themes, as you read through any letter written by Paul, draw a circle around, a box around, a specific highlighted color. Every time he says something about, I had planned to do this, but then God led me to do this instead. I wanted to go here, but the Holy Spirit said no. Paul's behavior was absolutely governed by an obedience to and a following of the voice of the Father. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll say what you tell me to say. I'll do what you tell me to do. I might have plans, and if you tell me to change them, I'll change them. This was Paul's life. This is what we are called to. So what does that mean? We've got to know the voice of the Father. We have to know the leading of the Holy Spirit. Read Galatians 5, where time and time again it talks about keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Follow his leading. Consider these verses, Romans 6, 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
newness of life. Man, you don't understand. I was just, I know I'm not supposed to snap off, but I was, I was born impatient. I was born with a short fuse. I was born this way. Yeah, that's why the Bible says you got to be born again. Believer, you've been born again. So that's not who you are. You're walking in newness of life. Rather, we're called to. Consider Romans 8, 3-5, a beautiful, beautiful passage. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That's a great, easy, obvious way to know if we're walking in step with the Spirit, if we're being sensitive to His leading in whatever situation you find yourself in. Coworker, child, sibling, brother, parent, whoever does this, I'm tempted to respond this way. Will my response lead to peace? Or will it lead to further strife and enmity and anger and bitterness. Okay, that's a pretty obvious scale. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So is my response in any given situation going to reflect one of those things or something else? It doesn't matter what role you find yourself in. You are called to be obedient to the standards and commands of God in that role and to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in that role. It's going to require that we know His voice, that we know what He calls us to do. That's why a few weeks ago when we were talking about this, you know, I said we like to poke fun at church fads sometimes, but I still think one of the best things the church did in the last 40 years was those WWJD bracelets. That reminder, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this situation? Obedient to God, following the Holy Spirit's leading. How would Jesus respond to the coworker I can't stand? How would Jesus treat the neighbor who constantly blows his leaves onto my property? How would Jesus deal with the child who's rebellious and angry? I mean, right, leaves is a small thing. Leaves is a minor thing that we allow to it. Like, we allow so many small things to get blown into big things. A guy didn't use his turn signal, and I'm going to mutter about him for 10 minutes. How did that affect my life in any way? So we allow small things to become big things, but there are big things that weigh on us. There are big things, right? A bitter, rebellious child who scorned parental advice and made terrible decisions and now is reaping the con. Like, that's painful. That hurts. They've said hurtful things when you've tried to love them. Your cousin, who you've done nothing but good things for, has been nothing but cruel and, and abusive to you. They borrowed money from you and they never repaid it. They've lied about you. People have ruined your reputation. I mean, there are big painful things in life. How am I supposed to respond in this situation? Be obedient to what God says. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. It, it's what we're called to. It's inescapable. It's unavoidable. And frankly, it's irresponsible of us to want anything other than. 
What else do we see? This one is, it came later in the passage. That's why we got to it now. But really, this is where it needs to begin. This is where everything needs to flow from. Verse 20. What do you say in verse 20? For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, Him being Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Quick side note, if you've ever wondered why yes in, in your, and I don't know everybody's printed Bible, but in a lot of translations, that yes there should be capitalized because that's actually a name of Christ that's given to him. Revelation 3.14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, in Revelation 3, Jesus is speaking to all the churches. And so this is Jesus' voice. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So that's just a, a really cool Bible detail that makes studying Scripture so fun, but also so important and so revealing. The yes, the amen. Amen was this word that means let it be so. It was a way of confirming what is true. So every time you see the name of Jesus, be reminded that one of his names is yes. It is confirmation of what God has promised. This is true. But then what, how does that conclude? So through him, through the yes, through the amen, we utter our amen for his glory. Psalm 96, 1-3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Isaiah 43, 6-7, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God says all of His children were created for His glory, that we might glorify Him. John 17, 24, Jesus speaking, Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, may be with Me where I am, to see My glory that You have given Me, because You loved Me before the foundation of the world. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And Hebrews 1.3 Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is exceedingly and continually clear that God alone is worthy of glory. That God alone is due glory. That it is his right, it is who he is. And so everything we do, every behavior we engage in, should be aimed at glorifying Jesus. 
So not only asking, what would Jesus do in this scenario? I want to be obedient to God. I want to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. I want to reflect His holiness, everything we've already looked at. But then also, okay, how will my response in this situation bring glory to Jesus? When I'm stressed at home, when I'm stressed at work, when I'm stressed with my family, when I'm tempted to be short-tempered, when things aren't going well, how will I respond in this way? How will I behave? How will I conduct myself in this role in a way that brings glory to Jesus? Ask yourself this. Based on my response, based on my behavior, based on my conduct... Would an unbeliever be more interested in knowing about Jesus or less interested in knowing about Jesus? What testimony does our life give to the glory of Christ? The way we treat people, the way we engage with this world, are they more likely to want to learn about God or less likely to want to learn about God? Is God glorified by how I treat fill in the blank? Is Jesus magnified by the way I conduct myself in this role? The behavior, the thought pattern, the excellence that I approach this with. I love 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. What if God was your boss as an employee, your direct supervisor? Would you want to not want to work in such a way that that wing of the building is the best? That that part of the plant is the best? That that neighborhood is the, like, would you, if God was your direct supervisor who you checked in with every Tuesday morning at staff meeting, would you not want to work in such a way that that was the best part of that company? God is your supervisor. Jesus is your reporting manager. Whatever we do, do for the glory of God. I'm a plumber, man. It's me in somebody's basement for three hours. Okay, well, are you engaging with that customer in such an excellent way that they're like, hey, there's something different about you? When strangers watch you at the grocery store, do they see something different? Again, please hear me say, I have no illusions that we're going to do this perfectly because we are broken, fallen people. But our brokenness does not excuse us from pursuing a higher standard. Our brokenness does not excuse us from pursuing with everything in us a relentless desire for the glory of Christ and the magnification of Christ. So how do you behave in whatever temporary role you have? With an eternal mindset that is aware of our eternal calling to glorify Christ in everything. This is laid out for us, explicitly clear by God. And then finally, the last thing that I see, that I think we see in this passage, as we consider our immediate circle, our immediate temporary circle, our action should be determined by a heart that desires the edification of the body of Christ. Big fancy words. Edification of the body of Christ. That sounds good for a test. What does that mean? Build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. Build up the church. Strengthen the church. 
verses one or uh, chapter one, verses twenty-three to twenty-four. But I call God to witness against me. It was despair you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue, pursue. We've looked at this biblical word pursue. It was a hunting term. It meant to put the time and the effort and the thought and the planning in to track down our target and get it. We pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. I mean, can we truthfully say that I am deliberately aware of and planning and tracking your upbuilding? That I wake up and I say, okay, what, what can I do to put myself in a place to build you up? I will have to put effort in. I will have to plan for this. I will have to bring provisions. I'm going to be in that tree stand all day. But it's okay because I know that my target is your mutual building up. And that's what I am going to pursue. The church is called to this. Romans 15, 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Ephesians 4, 16 and 29, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give, that it may give grace to those who hear. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11 For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. What a beautiful passage. God has destined us for salvation with Christ so that we might live with Christ. Therefore, again, be reminded of the lesson. Anytime you see therefore in the Bible, the idea it's about to talk about is directly built on the preceding idea. So in light of God destining you individually, every single one of you who is a believer, who would claim Jesus as Lord, who would say you are redeemed and forgiven, adopted into his family, adopted into son and daughtership, every one of you who is a believer, God who destined you for salvation, therefore, in light of that, encourage one another and build one another up. When we talk about society and the problems with society, the problems with culture, one of the most common talking points that we seem to come to is selfishness, ego, arrogance. The problem with the generation today is they're just self-centered. Everybody wants what's best for them. The problem with politics is that it's all about greediness and selfishness. The pro I mean, right? Are we wrong? I don't think so. I think ego runs pretty rampant in society and culture. I think arrogance runs pretty rampant in society and culture. Think about marketing. McDonald's, ba da ba da ba. I'm loving it. Men's Warehouse, you'll like the way you look. Do it, do what makes you happy. I mean, society really is all about the ego, about the self. 
And we acknowledge this. We acknowledge this in areas that we're not pleased with the direction they're going in. We even do this with our sports teams, right? What's one of the best things you can say about an NFL player? Oh, he's a a great team player. I'm a Steelers fan. You can boo me later. I'm a Steelers fan. You can boo me now, fine. We had Antonio Brown, who, like him or not, you cannot deny that for multiple years, Antonio Brown was one of the top three receivers in the NFL. Phenomenal talent. He blew the team up from the locker room, and when the Steelers released him, every fan was relieved. And why? For the exact same reason. The guy was an egomaniac. He made it all about himself. He didn't care how the team did. He wanted to do well himself. And so the whole team, the whole fandom was like, yes, good, get the ego out of here. So we can acknowledge this is a problem when it's in all the areas that we don't like. But do we approach the bride of Christ? Do we approach the family of God? Do we approach the corporate church and say, okay, well, what am I going to get out of this? I'm showing up to get something out of this. What are you all going to do for me? I'm coming on a Sunday morning to be served. I'm coming on a Sunday morning to have my needs met, my wants met, my priorities met. I want the band to play my favorite style of music. I want the message to be about a topic I want to hear. I know we need servers in the kids' wing, but here's my laundry list of reasons why I can't do it. I hope you all take care of it. Friends, if we are not approaching the bride of Christ with two questions and two questions alone, we've missed the point. How will Jesus be glorified and magnified by my approach to his bride? How can I serve his bride? Because I promise you, if all of us approached the body of Christ with those two questions, oh, things would be a lot different. And I love, I love, I love this body. I do. I, I, I think this body gets it right in so many ways. I don't think we get it perfectly, mainly because we're not perfect. I know I don't get being a pastor perfectly. I know your elders don't get being an elder perfectly. Our teachers don't teach perfectly. Our band doesn't play perfectly. So we're not perfect, but I, I really am incredibly humbled to be a part of this. So please hear me say that. I'm, I'm not trying to beat anyone up. But I am going to constantly remind all of us, because I need the reminder myself, that my approach, your approach to the bride of Christ has to be with how will Jesus be glorified and how can I serve my brothers and sisters? The moment I start showing up saying, no, 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 what are you going to do for me? I've missed the point. I've missed it. So how should I behave in whatever temporary role I have in a way that will glorify Christ and build up the body? What are you personally doing today to build the church up tomorrow? What are you personally doing today to invest in the church? What are you doing to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, nobody calls me. I'm sorry, who'd you call? I am. I'm genuinely sorry nobody called you. I'll call you. Who'd you call? 
Nobody invited me out. Okay, who'd you invite out? Nobody, okay, what'd you do? I mean, our roles need to be determined by an eternally minded heart seeking the edification, seeking to build up the body. One of my favorite things to hear is on uh, the holiday Sundays. Christmas Eve and Easter. That's when church is packed, right? Everybody shows up for Christmas Eve and Easter. That's when we bring family. That's when we bring friends. And every, every time, without fail, when the services are larger than ever before, without fail, somebody says to me, man, I really love seeing how full church was. Yeah, it is. It's fun. So what do you do in the other 48? That was terrible math. Uh, 50, thank you. This is why I don't teach. What, else, what are you doing the other 50 Sundays? You like seeing new faces at church? Great, what are you doing to bring them? Well, I, you know, I, I, what are you doing to build up the body? You like discipleship? What are you doing to build up the body? Iron sharpens iron. Our eternally minded heart needs to seek the edification of the body. So to circle all the way back, what should I do as fill in the blank? How do I respond in this situation? We don't have time to answer all those specifics. When you've got three screaming kids and you're reaching for the last bottle of Pedialyte in the grocery store and somebody else takes it from you, we don't have time to do a whole sermon on that. When you and a coworker work on a project and the boss is like, man, great job on that, and your coworker jumps in and is like, yeah, I really spearheaded it and did all the work. We don't have time to talk about all those specific situations. I guarantee you, every one of you could come up with a dozen situations right now of what am I supposed to do in this? We don't have time to talk about all those. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's Word, and we're going to look at the eternal truths He lays out about our, our identity, our eternal role, and then we're going to see how do those apply to my contextual temporary role. So whatever situation, whatever scenario you find yourself in, what should you do in that moment? Do what reflects the holiness of God. Do what is obedient to His Word. Do what is responsive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Do what gives glory to Jesus. And do what builds up the body. That's what you do. What, I don't, whatever situation you find yourself in, if we stick with that list, we'll be in a good place. What should I do? Well, does this, does this reflect holiness? Is this obedient to God? Will Jesus be glorified by my response? Will my brothers and sisters in Christ be built up by this? If we stick with those four, we'll be okay. This is what God calls us to as we consider our temporary role in light of our eternal identity. I'm so excited to keep getting into 2 Corinthians, where he starts talking about us being ambassadors, ministers of the new covenant. Ah, it's going to be fun. And in that, we see these timeless truths to determine our temporary roles. So as we consider these things, this week, let's all... 
Let's all pray about this. Earnestly approach God on His throne about this. Let's read Romans 6 and Romans 12. Two chapters. Great, great chapters. If you want to read the ones in between that connect them, go for it. That's definitely an encouragement. But let's read Romans 6 and 12. Meditate on this. Consider the passage that we read in 2 Corinthians. Consider the message, and let's read these two chapters. Let's continue to work on internalizing, not just memorizing, internalizing Acts 2.42. And then reflect personally. How could you use whatever temporary role you're in? And when I say temporary, it might be a role for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. My role as a husband has been going on since 2013. Prayerfully, it will go on for many, many more years. It's still a temporary role. Because one day I'm going to die. So that's temporary. So when I say temporary, I'm not talking about like 10 days. Like, it might be a long time, but we have to realize that in light of eternity, everything else is temporary. So in our temporary roles... How could you use where God has specifically placed you and called you to glorify Him and to reflect holiness? In your workplace, in your home, in your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your family, whatever it may be, how could you reflect God's holiness in that role this week? How could you use that role to build up the body of Christ this week? Let's go after these things together. It's the greatest privilege to be part of, of Jesus' family, to be called his bride. Let's approach it with the joy that shows we really believe that. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your truths. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you that you are conforming us to the image of Christ. We praise you for these things. Father, forgive us for when we neglect these things. Forgive us for when we resent these things or resist these things. Thank you for your patience and your mercy with us. So, Lord, we ask that you would sanctify this part of your bride, this body that we have named Community Bible Church. This body that meets in this building, sanctify this part of your bride. Your children who you have assembled deliberately together, teach us how to be holy. Teach us how to reflect your holiness. Teach us how to obey you. Strengthen us every day to walk in step with you. Use us to build up one another. God, you call for your church to be on the attack. You say that the gates of hell cannot stand against your church. Lord, remind us that we're meant to be on the offensive in this war. Lead us in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.